Welcome to Lords of Order. This is episode 71. This is a DC's Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is a spoiler show. If you want to send feedback, you can tweet me at Teal, T-E-A-L, Productions. Lords of Order has Facebook and Google Plus pages. You can leave comments. The website is bigtimenoise.com slash Fate. Comments there as well. And the email address is the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Now, last episode, I indicated I would be talking this episode about All Star Squadron 1. Well, I'm calling an audible. This episode, I'm talking about the All Star Squadron preview that was in Justice League of America, the 1960 volume, the first volume of the. Uh, Issue 193, dated August 1981. This preview was brought to us by Roy Thomas Ryder, Rich Buckler Penciler, Jeremiah Ordway, the embellisher, that's Jerry Ordway, John Costanza Letterer, and Carl Gafford Colors. Now, this has been reprinted in Showcase Presents All-Star Squadron Number 1, DC put out in 2012. Uh, I believe that'll be all in black and white if you catch it there, uh, which is fine with me to be able to read a lot of these older books. The, uh, the Showcase Presents were an awesome idea. I wish DC was still as actively doing it as they had been, but I believe they've cut back on that quite a bit. Either way, All-Star Squadron Preview. Now, the first page of the preview is a nice full-page spread. shows the American flag in the far background. In the mid-background is the White House, or the dome of the White House, actually. But in the foreground are our heroes. And from right to left, we have swinging in Batman. Coming in for a landing is the Spectre. Running on the ground is Sandman, Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson, Shining Knight, the Atom, Al Pratt, Wonder Woman, the Flash, Hawkman, Dr. Midnight, Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt, Superman flying on the left, Batman is flying in the middle, and Green Lantern, Alan Scott flying above Superman. So we open this inside the White House, FDR, and I suspect, well no, I take that back, I don't know if it would be Harry Truman or not, I'm not up on the politics of this time, but it's definitely FDR, is trying to reach someone on the phone, and we see in a panel a room with a circular table and a bunch of chairs. A phone is ringing unattended, and on the wall we have a plaque that says Justice Society of America. So apparently FDR is calling the at least meeting place, because I believe at this time they don't really have a headquarters of the Justice Society. To no avail. No one is there. Cut back to L.A., where... There is a celebrity race going on for the March of Dimes between Alan Scott, Green Lantern, The Flash, Jay Garrick, and Wonder Woman, uh, keeping in mind that this is Earth 2 that we're on here. And filming is none other than Johnny Chambers, who All-Star Squadron people will know is Johnny Quick in his superhero identity. Wonder Woman wins the race. Uh, There's a little discussion here at the end about the three of them. She's asking, are you, did did you guys um, hold back? And, you know, everybody's giving uh, explanations or excuses. I I don't know what you want to call it, really. Uh, Wildcat is here. 
uh, Ted Grant was supposed to be to present the award, but Wildcat is actually here presenting the award for winning. And all heck breaks loose as the crowd of 90 plus thousand fans breaks onto the field. So they decide that to remove themselves from the situation, a rope ladder descends from the sky, surprising Green Lantern and Flash. Wonder Woman climbs the rope because it goes to her invisible jet, of course, for those of you familiar with Wonder Woman. Green Lantern flies away, grabbing Flash. Wildcat just kind of disappears into the crowd. Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Flash reassemble their little mini-group there in Echo Park, where they're having a quaint little moonlight picnic, because Wonder Woman has found it so hard to meet people to spend time with in Man's World from Paradise Island as a superhero Etc., etc., etc. All of these excuses why she can't meet people. In the midst of this, uh, Solomon Grundy walks up out of the lake here, pond at Echo Park, and attacks our superheroic triumvirate, making references to Green Lantern and how he's not going to lose to Green Lantern again, and how Green Lantern must die this time, and all of these time references where. Green Lantern has never fought this beast before. He, he has no idea who this is. He's never seen him before. Um, that may or may not be explained in this, but it is explained in the first issue of All-Star Squadron, and I'll, I'll drop that here by the end of the episode, what, what all is happening here. But a battle ensues. Solomon Grundy knows about wood and Green Lantern, so he grabs up a palm tree and throws it at Green Lantern, who fortunately dodges it attacking with a green boxing glove to no avail. Wonder Woman um, ties up Solomon Grundy with her lasso, tries to compel him to no effect. Grundy grabs the lasso, pulls Wonder Woman in uh, for a, a quick punch to the face, knocking her out. Green Lantern gets too close. Solomon Grundy grabs him up, lifts him, throws him at the running Flash because he knew that the Flash would run at him. Subduing all three, the last we see of them, Solomon Grundy, standing, um, it almost looks like his foot atop one of his uh, downed foes in the, in the you know, one leg up, one leg down kind of stance, both arms extended, fists pointing uh, upward, well, I'm not describing it very well. You'd have to see it, but it's it's a pretty stereotypical pose of the bad guy that's defeated the good guy. Cut back to FDR's office, still trying to contact, getting more and more concerned, more and more frustrated with the fact that he is not able to get a hold of the Justice Society. Mention is made of Law's Legionnaires, who would later become known as the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And that is the Crimson Avenger, Vigilante, Green Arrow and Speedy, Shining Knight, Star-Spangled Kid, and Stripesy, I believe. FDR says, no, no, we, we, need, we need the big dogs. We need the Justice Society to do what, what needs to be done. We cut to New York City, where we f- see some people. At first, we don't know who they are, but we see some people watching a television broadcast. This is one of the earlier broadcasts, being that this is 1941. I believe, right? 41? Is that when the U.S. entered World War II? 
41? It is. Yeah, December of 41. Uh, And broadcasting is none other than Libby Lawrence. She is the face uh, of the broadcast. Again, All-Star Squadron readers will know that that is Liberty Bell in her superhero guise. Somebody reaches out and turns the TV off because it's all bad news. They're just tired of hearing all the bad news. She was starting to get into a uh, countrywide railroad strike report. And we see here that in the um, room, it turns out to be a penthouse, is Wesley Dodds, Ted Knight, and Johnny Thunder. They see out the window a floating sailing vessel, a boat, a large sailboat floating by. They all change into their superhero guises, well, Starman and Sandman do. Uh, Johnny just calls out, hey, see you, to get his Thunderbolt summoned. And they all fly up to the ship, get in through the ship with the help of the Thunderbolt. They find that it is not actually a ship. It is a dirigible, painted to look like a ship. So they go into the gondola at the bottom. While inside they're attacked, Johnny Thunder is immediately taken out as the men know that he probably is the most powerful with his Thunderbolt that can basically do anything Johnny tells it to do. So they take him out first. Starman and Sandman fisticuffs knock out all of the crew members, which they notice are acting kind of weird. They're acting rather like automatons, glassy-eyed, you know, not doing what they're supposed to, but not necessarily fluidly, almost like they're being controlled. Then we see the Sky Pirate come down a ladder into the gondola. He apparently is in charge. Um, I don't know the Sky Pirate. I don't know whose villain he's going to turn out to be. I don't recognize the name. I'll say Starman, but I have no idea. I, I won't even say that. I'm not sure whose villain he is, but he's one of he's more than likely one of these heroes' villain later in time. He uses a smoke gun or a gas gun, excuse me, releases knockout gas that knocks him out, winning his portion of the battle. We cut to Salem, Massachusetts, a windowless, doorless tower like edifice that sits outside of, what do they call it, shadow-haunted Salem, Massachusetts. Massachusetts gets a bad rap, you know? Um, I have friends that have gone up to Salem for their October uh, Halloween fest, or whatever they call it. They say it's a charming town. It kind of has maybe a rough history, or a rough portion of our history, but it gets a really bad rap. You know, those people in Salem, it's not any spookier than anywhere else. Probably other places I would not want to go to more in the U.S. than Salem, Massachusetts, to be honest with you. But inside is Dr. Fate with the half-helm half, half and Enza. He is looking at his orb of Nabu because Wotan is approaching. He's being warned, right? It's, it's his scrying vessel, and he sees what's coming up, and it is Wotan. So he jumps through the wall being composed of energy, he's able to make his atoms slide between the atoms, you know, that explanation for phasing through. And sure enough, intercepts Wotan, Wotan, excuse me, and attacks him. As he was leaving, Enza was warning him to be careful that he is not as powerful as he once was, and that is tied to the mask. Uh, I believe it turns out that this mask is not composed of the same materials as the full mask. 
the full mask helped give him powers, but he was having some Nabu-related control issues. Not wearing that mask, not at full power, using this man-made half-mask, and so his, his power is greatly diminished. Particularly since the last time he saw Wotan, which we remember he's seen him two or maybe three times in the Golden Age stories that we've covered. So he goes out there and flies at Wotan like a like a dive bomber. And he says, your spells tear my flesh, Wotan. I, and rend my very soul. Still I am Dr. Fate, and by the benevolent gods I will triumph over your timeless evil, or I shall die! As he collected, did you like that last part? I asked that because my wife just turned and looked at me because I was so animated. Crashes into Wotan, and now this momentarily confused me, okay? He crashed into Wotan, and they both fall to the ground. And in the panel where it shows him striking the ground, it's Dr. Fate and the Spectre. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened? What, what did I miss? And it turns out that uh, in a nearby tree close to where they landed, Wotan materializes. He had disguised himself as a tree. He had called Spectre there. And as far as fate was concerned, had disguised the Spectre to look like himself, Wotan. So actually, Dr. Fate attacked Spectre and was able to take him out, which really shouldn't be. Because being the, uh, what is it called? Not the the righteous judgment of God, but it's the, um, there's another word that he often says. The Spectre would have to far and away be the strongest hero in the DC, DC mythos, period. You know, he, he, vengeance, God's vengeance. So, I mean, come on. If, uh, if God is the creator of all, and this is the being that he has picked to met out his vengeance, well, then he would have the power to do anything, right? Even if just momentarily to accomplish his mission. So, the specter, come on, nobody can beat the specter. But Wotan materializes, he boasts about, you know, how clever he is, and we move on to an island in the Pacific where a volcano has grown in an area of the ocean where not only was there no island, but there is no explanation for why this island has developed a volcano even. And we see Danette Riley there. She's a geologist studying this phenomenon. Her brother Rod Riley, a uh, Navy ensign, is there trying to get her to leave with him. He knew she was on the island, knew what's happening on the island. Dangerous goes to pick up little sister, I assume. I don't know that there's a relationship ever discussed, but that seems to be the relationship. He's the older brother in the military. She's the younger sister. So he goes to help her off the island. She says, no, no, I'll stay here. It's where I belong as a geologist. And Rod's like, well, I don't have time to mess with you because I got to get back for a meeting that I have to be at. So if that's what you're doing, ciao. We cut to Gotham, where we see Superman, Batman, and Robin at a USO event, representing. And in the midst of this, they are attacked by Dr. Zodiac, who employs alchemy as his marshal and collapses as well. Uh, Zodiac just tosses the pendant on Superman, so he's constantly now irradiated by kryptonite. He subdues the three of them, and we move back to FDR's office, trying again. No go. So the FBI liaison, who is with 
um, FDR, which would make it Harry... Yeah, I can't think of the name now. Hello. But um, he is making a phone call. And so perhaps uh, in, in thinking and consulting with my best friend and paramour, perhaps this is Herbert Hoover. And he's being called Harry by FDR because they're so close. Uh, to us, without Googling it, that sounds right, so we'll go with that. If it's not right, let me know, um, or not, you know, whatever. But we'll run with it anyways. Herbert Hoover, head of the FBI. He calls a contact he has in the superhero community, which I'll just go ahead and say now because it comes out in the first issue of All-Star Squadron, turns out to be Plastic Man. I had no idea that Plastic Man, um, formerly, what was his name, Eel something or other, uh, was an FBI agent, but apparently he is. He says he'll go check on the Justice Society personally since this call. Uh, nobody's answering the call. Finally, or not finally, I think there's two more scenes. We cut to the Lincoln Memorial where Hawkman, Dr. Midnight, and Adam are uh, sightseeing prior to the Washington Redskins football game the next day. They are attacked by dude. Uh, let me look. I don't see his name. Sorry about this, guys. I know this is riveting podcasting. I thought they said his name, but they're attacked by a guy that shoots at them. The monster. I'm sorry. There it is. Is his name? And he shoots at them. Fight ensues until the bad guy is defeated this time. And he is defeated and then changes, his face changes. But then after revealing his true identity, he starts to glow and then disappears. Meanwhile, uh, they ask him before he disappears who it is that sent him. And he replies, Degaton. Um, Now, all Star Squadron fans and perhaps DC Comics fans will know that that is a reference to Per Degaton, who is the dude behind all this. What he has done is he is attacking from 1957, and he's come back to the beginning of World War One to attack. He has brought all these villains from 1957 back with him. So that is the explanation as to how the villains know the heroes, but the heroes don't know the villains yet, because in our timeline here, they haven't crossed paths yet. In the shadows, we see a besuited, fedora-wearing person in the shadows watching. And then he walks away quickly, quietly, while the narrator tells us, his feet making strangely metallic sounds upon the rough concrete. Turns out that was Robot Man watching them from, from the shadows. FDR's office, time has run out. We're going to have to do something. I'm trying to put together this this sort of all-star squadron to help, but I can't get anybody to help. I don't know I don't know what we're going to do. Um, Harry is pushing, you know, why he, he apparently is not fully abreast of the situation. And FDR just says that there has been decoded a message indicating that the Japanese are going to do something big later that day. FDR doesn't know exactly what. Meanwhile, the national rail strike starts as well. And then in the final caption on the final panel, the narrator tells us, in these first moments of Sunday, December 7, 1941, a date destined to live in infamy, which I believe is from FDR's speech. 
talking about today is where, where that is quoted from. And so ends our introduction to All-Star Squadron, one of my all-time favorite books. However, as we proceed forward for the next while until we get to 1987's first Dr. Fate named book, what books we cover are going to be iffy because, uh, for instance, the first five books were indicated for me uh, via the DCUWiki.net Dr. Fate Kit Nelson entry. And the first three issues of All-Star Squadron really don't use Dr. Fate at all. Issue 4 and Issue 5 do. So, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, Issue 4 of the All-Star Squadron will be the next book I talk about. I'll try to uh, capsulize what happened in the first three issues, which concerning Dr. Fate won't be much trying to keep what I talk about to be Dr. Fate-centric. A lot of these issues are going to be hit and miss because when he's part of a group, the importance of what he does is going to be iffy. Uh, We still have more issues of All-Star Comics and more Fun Squadron to cover, um, actual Golden Age books. As I'm doing these uh, by Dr. Fate's chronology, in between are going to be issues of All-Star Squadron uh, that... You know, I won't know if I'm going to cover until I actually look through them. So there's, it's it's hard for me to be definite ahead of time until I get a chance to sit down and look at everything. So you guys be flexible when I say what is going to be covered next because as I did this episode, it is liable to change midstream. I don't do that maliciously. I just do it because it's my podcast and that's what I want to do. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. All-Star Squadron Issue 4, it looks like, with a quick summation of 1 through 3, will be next time out for... No, I'm sorry. Next time will be Dr. Fate, the current volume, Issue 12. It'll be time to talk about a new Fate next week. So we'll do that. And then the week after will be do whatever else I say. And I'll repeat that again then. Talk to you guys later. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license.